Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Chapter 6 Festive Tet is the Vietnamese word for the Lunar New Year. It coincides with the Chinese New Year and generally falls in January or February, depending on the arrival of the first new moon. Hanoi is in the throes of winter at that time and is almost always grey, gloomy, cold and miserable. A festival is a welcome distraction. The whole country is on holiday and like Christmas or Eid, it's impossible to get anything done on the work front. People are splurging on the only vacation they get all year. Four days sometimes extends over two weeks, most of which is in transit to and from home villages to spend the season with family. Hanoi shuts down. The streets are clear. The shops are shut. All the migrant workers have left town to travel to distant provinces. In the days leading up to Tet, every household must ensure the kitchen gods are placated. Paper shoes and a crown are burned to send a message to the spirit world that the family has been good during the year. Magical messenger goldfish are bought in plastic bags from street vendors on bicycles. The fish are released, or, more often than not, thrown while still in the bag, into local drains or canals. Messengers to the gods on the Carp Express to the Underworld It is customary to give and receive bang chung, a steamed compressed rice cake made from mung beans and pork wrapped in banana leaves and tied with reeds. These cakes are the heaviest substance on earth, a density greater than lead, a homegrown biological weapon. Preparation takes about 12 hours, and like a lot of Tet traditions, is generally left to the last minute of Tet Eve. The cakes are stacked, wrapped and steamed in 44-gallon drums. Large amounts of food and rice wine are consumed, stories and jokes told, throughout the very serious business of tending the leaden parcels. I lived in dread of receiving these cakes from my neighbours or Vietnamese friends. An acquired taste, there's only so much or so little you can eat. The orphanage would receive mine as gifts. Some customers said they'd use them for weight training or donate them to the monks at the local temple. What's not eaten immediately is sliced and deep-fried as a snack over the remainder of the holiday. In the lead-up to Tet, houses must be scrubbed, repaired and tidied. New clothes are purchased for all in the family, possibly the only new clothes for the year. Visits to the ancestors' graves are also scheduled for Tet Eve to clean grave sites, light some joysticks, and ensure that the ghosts of great-grandad and grandma and all the extended dearly departed, know they are invited back home to celebrate. Because the prices have dropped, Tet Eve is also the time to race out at the last minute and purchase a Tet tree. Small, round, orange kumquats represent gold. 
Millions of Hanoians haggle over the fruiting trees from street vendors or from nurseries on the outskirts of town. The small trees are delivered tied to the backs of bicycles or motorbikes to be placed prominently in the family home as a harbinger of good luck for the new year. The first day of Tet is reserved for close family. The person whom you see first on this day sets the scene for how lucky the rest of the year will be. Unmarried, childless women get the short shrift in this regard as they are considered an omen of phenomenal bad luck. The whole day has to be restarted should such a horrendous plight befall you on the new year. Endless cooking and eating continues throughout the festival. Gaviscon or other antacids are usually on hand to counter the overindulgence. Visiting relatives and friends is mandatory and on what day depends on your relevance or closeness within the family. Also mandatory is being cheerful and brimming with goodwill, particularly to people you ordinarily couldn't bear the rest of the year. Something for which I can vouch, as my monster landlady would always be an angel of sweetness and light over Tet. There must always be someone in the home to greet and entertain visitors, a task usually assigned to a bored teenager when the rest of the family are out socialising and who'd much rather be hanging out with their friends than talking niceties, drinking strong green tea and watching long-lost relatives chew betel nut. Lucky money is handed out to young kids and old people in the extended family, and perhaps to those in the families of close neighbours. An avalanche of new red bills are withdrawn from banks and conveyed to recipients using small red tet envelopes. New red bills can also be purchased on the roadside from entrepreneurial and licensed money changers for a small commission. At that time, 10,000 dong, then about 75 cents, was the sought-after denomination. These days, however, the new plastic currency has made 50,000 dong in red, currently worth about $2.50, and can quickly drain resources when handed out to multitudes of children and old folks. In a quiet moment, Grandma or old Uncle Bin can be seen somewhere in a dark recess adding up their windfall. As there are no coins in Vietnam, candy in the shape of coins wrapped in gold foil also helps spread the luck. After the official four-day holiday, everyone returns to work, although no one's very productive. Over the following month, considerable time is spent on long lunches or office bus trips, visiting temples to pay respect and elicit good fortune from the ancestors to guarantee lots of money for the impending year. The holiday means a visit to the astrologer is probably on the cards. A prediction is gained from the master after incantations and careful scrutiny of a raw chicken foot. A dire forecast has already come true for the chicken. Queues of anxious Hanoians form around the block, clutching a lucky chicken foot recently purchased from the local market. A necromancer inspects each crevice and claw to predict their luck for the year ahead. When the hocus-pocus is over, the chicken foot, having lost its charm, ever pragmatic, is taken home for the evening soup pot. A lovely tradition in Vietnam and other Southeast Asian countries is Teacher's Day a national celebration to honour your current teachers, but also to show appreciation to former teachers who have had a big impact on your life. Flowers and small gifts are offered to teachers past and present. 
Some Vietnamese people continue to honor favorite teachers for many years after having been their pupil. My Vietnamese teacher taught students English, Vietnamese, or Russian, having received her education in Moscow many years earlier. English had been a relatively new addition to her repertoire to accommodate both entrepreneurial locals as well as to offer her services to the influx of Westerners working and living in Hanoi. The opening of Vietnam to the West after the decades of war created an environment particularly in Hanoi that made for a clumsy embrace of Western culture, a clash of cultural icons and a riotous mash of Vinglish signage. Like many Hanoians, my Vietnamese teacher was not very adventurous to try new foods. I treated her to a meal at an upmarket foreigner hotel to celebrate both Teacher's Day and our end of term. I thought a buffet would hit the mark because it was similar to the local Vietnamese street version called Con Binh Zan, but this turned out to be a poor choice on my part. The venue was far too fancy for my teacher, and initially she felt very uncomfortable. However, we stayed and managed to munch our way through the selection. Vietnamese, Korean, Chinese, Filipino, Japanese, French, Italian. A long table of Russian tourists arrived and were seated adjacent. Curious as to what they were discussing and what they planned to do in Hanoi, I called on my teacher's Soviet education to eavesdrop and translate. Leaning back toward them, obviously listening in, she theatrically cocked her ear to better absorb the conversation. Resuming her seat a minute or so later to tell me in her usual deadpan style that their discussion had been exactly the same as mine, wondering what I was saying, what I was doing. Eavesdropping concluded, we finally made it to the dessert table, laden with cakes, biscuits, pastries and Asian treats. It was typically extravagant of a five-star venue, and because it was the end of year, it even included a two-metre-high carved and painted styrofoam Santa Claus, perched astride the sweets and frosting. This giant Santa was a bit unusual, as it wielded a massive styrofoam broadsword above its head, as though to split gingerbread shingles or decapitate elves. I had seen some interesting contrasts in Vietnam, but this took the cake. I recall a Santa in Tokyo that had been nailed to a cross, but Santa's got an axe was a whole new ball game. I pointed out to my teacher that he should have a sack, not an axe. Nonplussed, she barely glanced at St. Nick and assured me that Santa always carries an axe, and ignoring my confusion, continued to graze her way through the array of custards, buns and cakes. Santa's foray to the dark side bothered me. I knew there was a logical reason for his situation, Perhaps there had been a convention of lumberjacks and the hotel had repurposed the mascot. On closer inspection, I discovered the homicidal woodsman was poised to split a styrofoam yule log placed between his big black styrofoam boots. Suddenly, all made sense. No doubt there had been a request from foreign management for their Vietnamese chef artists to create a thing called Santa as well as other equally weird Christmassy items such as a Yule log. An axe was the only and obvious connection between the two. Mystery solved. The following year, I called the hotel to ask if I could buy Serial Killer Santa for the bookshop, but he hadn't made it past the new year, but was rumoured to have enrolled in Marxist-Leninist theory at Hanoi University and was doing quite well. 
These days, a gift of skinny Santas can be seen tearing around town on Christmas Eve on motorbikes, delivering presents to businesses, a drooping lit cigarette faintly glowing through their fake beards. Hanoi has awkwardly embraced the festival, but most locals are still a little unsure of the purpose or origins of the character, but in true entrepreneurial spirit have seized a marketing opportunity. Vietnamese have a very romantic culture. TV shows and popular songs are quite saccharine, although the best-selling DVDs featuring the carnage on Vietnam's roads are definitely not. Unsurprisingly, Valentine's Day has also become popular much to the irritation of many who can't help but feel Vietnamese culture is continually diluted by foreign influences. Santa with an axe spurred my admiration and appreciation of Vietnamese chef artists. Their creations were always amazing. Hundreds of tents had been erected all around the foreshore of Wan Kiem Lake to highlight tourism in Vietnam. These featured the delights of Brick Factory No. 7, Garment Factories Nos. 1-50 and assorted other national wonders that most people would pay to avoid. The display for the Hanoi Youth Union Hotel comprised a replica of the hotel and its surrounds, recreated entirely in vegetables, replete with broccoli trees, pumpkin skin tiles and zucchini facade. It even had carrots intricately carved as buses full of smiling tourists. A few months later, inspired by this genius, I commissioned the chef artist at one of the larger hotels to create a styrofoam cow as a 60th birthday gift for the owner of the Spotted Cow pub. I hadn't realised that this job posed a few problems for the Vietnamese chef, not the least being that he had never seen the real animal. Somehow, he managed to obtain a picture of a cow grazing in a luxuriant field, somewhere definitely not in Asia, and after some small debate as to whether it should be a black cow with white spots or a white cow with black spots, the chef artist set to work, and the animal was duly completed on schedule a few days later. I enlisted my Cyclo driver, Twan, to collect the gift. Twan was never hesitant to help, no matter how strange any of my plans must have sounded in my poor Vietnamese. We snaked down some nearby streets to the hotel, Twan pedalling while I sat in the sedan. Twan headed to the rear of the hotel with the Cyclo, while the F&B manager led me through the maze of kitchens to the rear delivery bay, where the chef was putting the final touches to his creation. To my complete amazement, the cow had been meticulously reproduced life-size. I had been expecting something a little smaller, perhaps suitable for a bookshelf or coffee table. I had no clue styrofoam blocks that big existed. It was perfect, exactly as depicted. The chef said he had retained the grass around the animal's hocks, as he wasn't sure what was anatomically correct. For all he knew, it might have stood on flippers or even claws. Despite its generous dimensions, the cow only weighed a few kilograms. Twan secured it to his cyclo, so that it stuck out head first, like some sort of barnyard missile. I hailed a passing motorcycle taxi and shadowed Twan the short distance back to the bookshop. The cow, from a distance, was remarkably lifelike. Well, sort of lifelike. Let's just say there were an awful lot of second glances by Hanoi drivers in a place where no one is surprised by anything barrelling toward them. The bookshop was never exactly modelled on a French salon, and on that day, no one was in any doubt. 
the cow came to rest between crime and personal growth and took up most of the browsing space. The party was at a nearby venue, so the cow would hide out in the bookshop till later that evening. Customers were able to nudge past to make a selection. Strangely, no one asked why a giant cow had suddenly taken up residence, particularly since its less attractive end greeted them when they entered the bookshop. Fortuitously, a livestock specialist arrived to buy books. He was immediately seconded to examine the animal and to dictate a pedigree that included milk production, cream value and general physical characteristics that I would print and use in lieu of a birthday card. That evening, a friend, the cow and I, waited on the pavement outside the bookshop for Twan to assemble his cyclo for more livestock haulage. This attracted the notice of all the neighbours. Suddenly, we were surrounded by orphans and passers-by, everyone beaming, laughing and full of goodwill. The fake cow somehow possessed a remarkable quality that lightened everyone's hearts. The youngest orphan, teary-eyed and overcome with emotion, blubbered in Vietnamese while stroking its foamy rump. It's a really beautiful cow. The passing rubbish lady was briefly overjoyed and then sorely disappointed thinking she'd hit the mother load. If I'd known a chunk of styrofoam could have elicited such peace, love and happiness, I would have commissioned a whole herd. Twan lashed the animal once again to the cyclo for the short but perilous journey to the venue a few streets away. More near misses followed as motorbikes and cars swerved out of our path. Another guest en route had witnessed the commotion and forewarned the host that someone was bringing him a cow. Neglecting to mention it was fake, or perhaps assuming it wasn't. Word soon got to the overzealous venue manager, who directed his security team that no cow was allowed on site. We were stopped on arrival and barred from entry by a diligent but somewhat perplexed security detail. A few farcical minutes followed. The cow patiently waited, lashed to the cyclo until the host arrived and vouched for the entourage. She was a big hit that night, of course. Kids sat on top. Everyone stood by to have their photos taken. An ear was snapped off at one point, then seamlessly reattached with toothpicks, pedigree and low maintenance. Eventually she was put out to pasture, suspended from the ceiling of the Spotted Cow pub, where she spent the next several years garnering a rich nicotine patina and becoming an enforced, if not avid, spectator of football, from a TV mounted next to her head. The anniversary of the bookshop was marked with a visit from the Hanoi Circus. I wanted to arrange a street party, with possibly a clown for the orphans, along with more grown-up activities for the customers from the bookshop. After some haggling, the circus insisted that at least five acts be hired. They would supply everything, and the troupe would set up in the street. I decided to avoid the animal acts, dogs in nylon tutus jumping through fiery hoops, snake charmers, or monkeys in onesies riding tiny bicycles, and I sensibly stuck to the human talent. After some discussion with the circus manager, a couple of clowns, an acrobat and a contortionist were selected, along with, excitingly, a prestidigitator. The Hanoi Circus is a well-known and popular landmark, having a permanent big top not far from the main railway station. The performers are top-rate acrobats, having been trained in their own circus school and abroad, 
in both Soviet and Chinese traditions. The result is a range of animal and human acts of various degrees of sophistication. The high point at that time was a sun bear riding a motorcycle. The bear belted at full tilt several times around the ring, chomping huge pawfuls of peanuts from a small bucket tied to the handlebars before gunning the engine and careering through curtains stage left. An act remarkable for several reasons, and not the least being how to train a wild bear to ride a motorcycle, and better yet, how to make it stop before it sped off down Highway 1 to Saigon. The next step for my circus party was to gain approval from the local ward. The cafe owner next door promised she would clear things with the police. I'd also offered to throw the orphans a party in her cafe, so that might have sweetened the pot. Worried about the prevailing no-fun-allowed official attitude, I hadn't told my customers the circus was coming, but by late afternoon the performers showed up and set the stage, a few bits of cardboard on the street and a table for the contortionist. Speakers belted out circus music. Customers who arrived early for drinks soon discovered the unusual commotion beginning outside. The urban telegraph rang out on mobile phones and over fences. Neighbourhood families, kids and stray adults appeared from all around. People gazed from buildings overhead. The orphans were suitably enthralled. Despite the prestidigitator turning out to be pretty lame, the clowns did various routines for the kids, whose mouths were open and agog. By this stage, a couple of hundred people had spilled into the street and were blocking all the traffic. I was becoming nervous as to how solid my police approval was. A street party was not the done thing in Hanoi. This was getting a little out of hand. On the flattened cardboard, the acrobat rode a four-metre-high unicycle while juggling large metal rings, as if this was perfectly normal. By now, people had been drawn from other streets, and passers-by had stopped on their motorcycles. Onlookers blocked the street. The contortionist was on the table in the middle of the road for her performance and had quickly folded herself into a pretzel. Her stunt, while turned inside out, was to shoot a bow and arrow with her feet to burst a balloon held by one of the clowns. The clown was also doubling as MC for the evening. After a warning about the danger of this activity, the MC leant forward with the balloon target and directed the crowd to leave a space for the arrow in case she missed. The crowd parted along the firing line. At this moment, having been blocked by the spectators, a Vietnamese family on a motorbike attempted to blast through the miraculous gap yawning in front of them. The family found themselves directly in the firing line of a contorted woman clad in pink pantaloons, writhing upside down on a table, about to fire an arrow with her feet. Not the driver's greatest decision. His baby was secured up front in a small seat on the handlebars, while behind, Mum, Groceries and another couple of kids egged him to press forward. I'm not sure who had the greater shock. Me, as I glimpsed a life behind bars for spearing a baby in the head with an arrow, or he, and the actual vision that confronted him. Basic physics could have shown the contortionist was not in the best position to send the arrow very far, but to everyone's relief, especially mine, the driver slammed on the brakes and a catastrophe was averted. Bang! The balloon popped. The rest of the evening went without a hitch. 
The kids were thrilled. The neighbours and my customers were thrilled. I was especially thrilled the cops didn't show up, shut the whole thing down and drag me away. Sometime later in the night, I realised that all the air conditioner remote controls in the bookshop had been nicked. The prestidigitator, it seemed, despite his lame performance, did have a knack of making things disappear. I had caught him skulking around the shop early in the evening, acting suspiciously. Evidently, pocketing a few bits and pieces must have been de rigueur at these sorts of gigs. I soon discovered each remote could be sold for the equivalent of about a week's salary, as the following day, indignant, I had to repurchase them from the second-hand store at the end of the street. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.